Hey everybody, Magnus here. As I record this, the teaser for Star Wars Episode 7 just came out on YouTube. Let me begin by saying all the people who created and posted fake Episode 7 trailers can all fuck off and die from gonorrhea as far as I'm concerned. You know who you are. You're not funny. You're a fucking asshole. But next, and... I gotta say, you know, more and more when it comes to Episode 7... I've been in a mindset a lot like how I felt about Man of Steel. I mean, yeah, I'm happy to be getting it. No question about it. And you know what? It's even an enjoyable teaser. There's some stuff in there that looks like it's taking place on Tatooine. Whether or not you think that's a good thing. There's some dude who's swinging a, a red lightsaber around, and there's even a glory shot of the Millennium Falcon in a dogfight against some TIE fighters. So... It's definitely fun times. Here's the thing, though. As with Man of Steel, I'm happy to be getting this. No question about it. But at the same time, I don't feel like I need it. I'm perfectly content with the unaltered trilogy and the parts of the prequels that I do enjoy. If Episode 7 came out in 2009 or something like that, I think I'd have a very different point of view about it. But as it is right now... I'm just not going crazy with excitement for it. Now, if you're up for the game, if you just can't wait for Episode 7, and you're out of your mind with excitement about it, please don't let me ruin your good time, because I don't want to do that. I'm just saying that I, personally, am interested in seeing this movie, but I'm not really insane with anticipation over it, you know? It was a good teaser. I'm happy to be getting Episode 7 after all these years of George Lucas telling us there would never be a sequel to the original trilogy. This is more than I ever thought would be possible. I'm just not dying in anticipation here. That's all I'm saying. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. No! Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I haven't talked a whole lot about Marvel Comics during the course of running this podcast. And that's a kind of weird thing when you consider that my subject matter mostly revolves around comics, movies, and TV shows. As a defense, I should point out that I've never, I've never really denied being a DC guy. I mean, yeah, sure. I have these little weekend warrior 
sort of blowouts in the Marvel Universe, but DC's my first love when it comes to comics. But hopefully this will start balancing things out a little bit. Basically, this week and next week, I plan to talk about some Marvel stuff. I promised, not even all that long ago, that I deal with some Marvel comics, but that ended up getting pushed to the back burner because I scheduled it for February. To peel back the curtain just a little bit, the string of shows released starting from February 4th to March the 11th were supposed to have a comic book creator in every episode. That ended up coming crashing down around my ears, though. Just didn't work out. But a bunch of friends came to the rescue, so hopefully nobody ever noticed that shit went catastrophically fucking wrong right around that time. Still, originally that was supposed to be a predominantly Marvel-centric bunch of shows. But then I had the dumbass idea of turning it into a creator-driven series of episodes, and like I said, that blew up in my face, so here we are. But now this is a chance to kind of sort of get back on track a little bit, and hopefully keep my promise at least somewhat about discussing more Marvel stuff. So next week, it'll be Spider-Man 2099, and can't wait for that. But this week, it's the Punisher Max series written by Garth Ennis. I'll talk more about what the Punisher Max series was all about later on, but for right now, into the summaries we go. This is The Punisher, in the beginning, from The Punisher Max, number one through six. Writer is Garth Ennis, cover artist is Tim Bradstreet, interior artist is Louis LaRosa, inker is Tom Palmer, colorist is Dean White, letterer is Randy Gentile, editor is... Axel Alonzo, and editor-in-chief is Joe Casada. Punisher Max, number one, begins in 1976. During a picnic in Central Park, the Castle family are caught in the crossfire of a mafia hit. Nine-year-old Lisa and 20, uh, 28-year-old Maria Elizabeth are killed in the original burst of shots at a mafia dawn, and five-year-old Frank David Jr. is killed by his soldiers returning fire. Only husband and father, Frank Castle, survives, turning himself into the Punisher and, and beginning a quest to make the world sane again. In the modern day, which is where we flash back to, uh, two people in a car, one of them is a male named William Roth and the other is a female named Catherine O'Brien, they're surveying the Punisher on his annual visit to his family's gravesite. As they watch him, Roth wonders aloud how they're going to take him down until O'Brien reminds him that Fat Boy, quote-unquote Fat Boy, gave them orders not to do anything. Having gotten a fix on his location, they leave to watch the rest on widescreen. That night, the local Mafia family is having a lavish party to celebrate the 100th birthday of Don Massimo Cesar. 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 C-E-S-A-R-E. Fucking no idea how to pronounce that. Cesari. I don't know. As every crime family in the nation has sent a representative, the party is unguarded. The Punisher strikes the party, simply walking in and shooting the Don. 
When the gangsters give chase, they run headlong into the Punisher's pre-prepared chain gun, and he kills everyone in his line of sight. Those that try to strafe him find themselves stepping on landmines. In a penthouse, a group of people, including Roth and O'Brien, are watching the Sasari massacre via NASA satellite. With them is another man, Bethel, the apparent boss. Roth, shocked by what he saw, openly questions how Fatboy is going to take the Punisher down. Bethel goes into the next room where Fatboy chides him for the video setup, which he deems unnecessary. He explains that he can handle Frank Castle, and will do so soon, because he's Castle's only friend in all the world. Punisher Max, number two. At one of the many funerals made necessary by the recent actions of the Punisher, members of the Sasari family argue between themselves about what their next move should be. While they're arguing, the Punisher explodes an SUV with a bazooka because you get the other guy on the ropes, you keep him there, to put it in the Punisher's own words. The group in the penthouse watch the news in shock and Roth and Fatboy begin to argue. Roth posits that Fatboy is scared of his old friend and is wasting time, at which point uh, Fatboy grabs Roth by the balls and explains that, number one, he's not as soft as he appears to be. Number two... His name is Microchip, not Fatboy. And number three, he worked with Frank Castle for ten years, helping him become an efficient killing mach machine. So yes, he's fucking scared after seeing the work he just pulled off. With that, he orders Bethel to get his squad ready for a strike that night. Elsewhere, Frank converses with Nadine, a prostitute. She tells him the lack of mafia higher-ups, either through death or, for, or from being scared, has led to quiet streets. He notices a young-looking girl and asks about her. How old she is, if she's hooked on anything yet, and all that. He suddenly kills her pimp, giving his money clip to Nadine with the instructions to send the girl home with half and tell the new guy to watch himself. Still elsewhere, mobster Larry Barucci meets up with Nikki Cavella and his soldiers Ink and Pitsy in a restaurant. Larry explains that the Punisher's massacre left the family in a power vacuum with only one man that is, Big Jackie, ranking higher than Soldier, and him being in the hospital. With no one left, Larry turned to the Boston-based Nicky, who's been exiled from New York for 15 years for the ruthless way he conducts his business. Nicky agrees to help solve the Punisher problem, but doesn't plan on leaving the city again afterward. That night, the Punisher's preparing to go hunting. Microchip, Roth, O'Brien and Bethel watch him as he steps out onto the street, with Microchip warning not to deploy men if things go wrong, as he'll be dead. Instead, be ready to send guys if things somehow end up going right. With that, he jumps out of the van and calls out to Frank. Frank turns, but hesitates just a second before drawing his Uzi. Microchip raises his shotgun and shoots Frank in the chest with it. Stepping over his body, he shoots Castle in the hand as he reaches for his Uzi, and then a third time into the head. Punisher Max number three. Larry Barucci visits the Cesari family's last living capo, Big Jackie, while he's in the hospital where he, where he informs them that he's invited Nikki Cavella into town to help with the Punisher problem. Angry, Jackie uh, says to send Nikki and his crew back home. After Larry leaves the hospital room, however, Ink and Pitsy enter and kill Jackie. Meanwhile, in the hospital hallway, 
Nikki catches a news broadcast reporting that Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher, has been captured by police. An eyewitness, Walter Krause, reports having seen him being placed into a van by someone appearing to be SWAT. An unbelieving Nikki has Larry get in touch with his contacts in the police department to see if this is true. <clears throat> in the penthouse, the Punisher's tied to a chair with chains in a dark room. Micro explains that he took him down with stun rounds and that he used seven in total on Castle when really one should have been enough. In the main room, Catherine O'Brien listens to Micro and Castle at the door so that she can hear Castle's voice, while Bethel uh, sees the same news report that the mobsters did. He assigns Roth to talk to the old man and convince him he shouldn't be talking to the press anymore. Micro explains to Frank that they need to talk and that he has to show results with them quickly, then fans out, pictures of his murdered family right in front of Castle. Larry's police contact has confirmed that they haven't picked up the Punisher. Reportedly, the group that does have him are acting in the name of Homeland Security. Micro goes over his past with the Punisher, including working with him because his son was randomly murdered as well, and having walked away because he realized the cycle of crime would never end no matter what he, Castle, or for that matter anyone else ever did. He says Castle kills because he likes killing, having gotten a taste for it in Vietnam when a darkness reached out to him and he told it yes. When Micro stops speaking, Castle tells him to put the pictures of his family away or, and I quote, I, or I guarantee you'll have to kill me, unquote. O'Brien, still listening, gets rattled and fixes a drink from the minibar. Roth visits Mr. Krause in Sheepshead Bay, but before he can get inside to talk to him, gets dragged away by Nikki, Ink, and Pitsy. They decide to get information from Roth instead of Krause, promising him that they'll cut his balls off and put him in a paper cup if he doesn't cooperate. In the penthouse, O'Brien attempts to warn Bethel that they are making a mistake with Frank Castle, using a metaphor about zoo tigers never being truly tamed. He sends her to go check on Roth, who's late to check in, and then uh, she warns him that Frank Castle is not to be fucked with as she leaves. In the darkened room, Micro talks to Castle about how he doesn't believe he's insane, which is why he thinks he, that he's going to listen to the deal that he's offering. A deal that will allow him to leave the Punisher behind forever. Punisher Max, number four. Micro offers the Punisher the chance to stop going after local small fries and hunt the likes of Osama bin Laden with full backing and support of the United States government. In Sheepshead Bay, Larry Barucci has to pull the car he's driving Nikki Cavella, Inc., and Pitsy in over so that he can vomit as the mobsters uh, discuss the information on the Punisher's whereabouts that they've extract ex extracted from R William Roth. Nikki mentions they'll have to toughen him up when he vomits once more at the very mention of balls. Micro tells Castle that Bethel and his crew are CIA charged with assassinations, but don't have the funding or legal room to recruit standard operatives. If Castle agrees to join, a press release will go out stating that he committed suicide while in their custody, and he'll have no official contacts other than Micro to give him his targets. Castle chooses not to accept. Downstairs in the, in the hotel, uh, Claude, Nikki sends ink to sabotage the service elevator. Castle explains that he refuses to work for the people who run the world because it gets you stabbed in the back. 
He refuses to go to war so someone can sell him 16s. Catherine O'Brien arrives at Walter Krause's uh, apartment and shows him a picture of Roth. As he's telling her about the mobsters taking him away, Roth stumbles up the hall clutching his, br his bleeding crotch in one hand and holding a paper cup in the other. O'Brien calls a warning in to Bethel, who tells her to get rid of the hurt Roth and get back to the penthouse. Then orders Alpha Team into the basement. Inc., having heard the soldiers loading into the elevator, warns Nikki that he may not be able to sabotage it in time, but is able to clip the last wire and sends it full of soldiers 47 floors down into the basement, killing the Alpha Team. Castle tells Micro about Bob Garrett the man who lived next door to the Castle family when the massacre happened. A while after, Garrett paid a visit to Frank, during which he told him he was splitting up with his wife because he met someone else. Frank compares their situations. Quote, I lost my wife, and you th threw yours away like she was nothing. Unquote. After that, Frank tells Frank, uh, Bob Garrett to run. When a confused Garrett doesn't move, an enraged Frank brutally assaults him, throwing him through a window and finally being restrained by five men. Micro questions why Frank's telling him uh, such a story, and Frank replies by asking where Bethel's funding comes from. At the same time, the mobsters knock on the penthouse door, with Pitts shotgunning the woman who answers in the face. Frank continues to ask where the funding comes from, despite the explosions on the other side of the door. Nikki Cavella shoots Bethel in both knees, and Pitts kicks open the door Castle and Micro are, are behind, holding the shotgun on Micro. Punisher Max, number five. Nikki Cavella shoots Micro in the shoulder and puts his gun to the Punisher's forehead. As he begins to squeeze the trigger, Castle shifts and bites Cavella's finger, sending the shot into the wall and causing Nikki to back into Pitts and Ink. Just then, Catherine O'Brien bursts into the penthouse firing an Uzi, hitting Ink multiple times in the chest and Pitts in the shoulder. While Nikki attempts to marshal the O'Brien situation, Micro uh, crawls toward, towards Frank Castle to unlock him. Ink reveals a grenade from which he pulls the pin and walks towards uh, O'Brien, who shoots him in the chest again. Utilizing the distraction, Nikki's ab finally able to put O'Brien down with shots to her chest. The grenade explodes sending Pitts flying, and at the same time, Mi uh, Micro frees Castle. Newly freed, the Punisher grabs Nicky and slams his forehead into Pitts' nose. Pitts and Punisher brawl, with Micro attempting to get a shot on Pitts. When no clear shot resolves, Castle orders him to take the one he has, which hits Pitt despite putting some shot into Castle's arm. Worried the police are coming, Cavella, Pitts, and Larry Barucci flee the scene. The Punisher does the same, taking Micro, who leads him to a storage warehouse he'd set up back in 1966, along with Frank. In the penthouse, Bethel assures the responding police officers that the blood-soaked and exploded suite is not a crime scene because of their homeland security status. O'Brien quits as paramedics roll her out of the room, and Bethel notes she'll be thrown back in prison. He then makes a call to activate the bug inside Micro's cell phone and have a gunship meet him at LaGuardia. In the warehouse, Micro's agreed to tell Frank about Bethel's funding. He informs them that Bethel imports heroin from, from Afghanistan, bringing it in the body bags of dead soldiers, and has police department contacts sell it. Castle accuses Micro of joining the enemy, saying their situations are different because people he takes money from, he kills. Micro asks why he told him about Bob Garrett, the man he beat half to death, 
and Frank says he missed part of the story, the part where he told him to run because he knew what he was about to do to him. Frank, tells my, uh, Frank takes Micro's cell phone and calls the Barucci home, having recognized him from the penthouse and gives them the address uh, where they're located so they can come and find him. When he uncovers the bug in the phone, Micro claims not to have known about it. Warning that they'll be on their way already, Frank replies that that works for him and then tells Micro to run. Micro doesn't want to leave Frank to go to war with the CIA all on his own. Frank tells him again to run, and when Micro says no, Frank replies, On your own head be it. Punisher Max, number six. The Punisher's taken a position on the roof of Micro's warehouse to hold off the coming mafioso, with Micro waiting inside. Despite already having had three cars shot up and their passengers killed, Nikki Cavella orders Larry Berucci to send in the next two. At the same time, Robert Bethel is flying near the scene in a helicopter and gives the order to have the local police establish, and then hold, a perimeter. Pitts exits the trunk of one of the shot-up cars, sneaks up on Micro, and stabs him through the stomach. When he doesn't answer his call, Micro, uh, Punisher realizes something's wrong and begins firing down through the roof. Pitts fires back, forcing him to back up until he falls through the skylight. The Punisher and Pitts then begin to fight, with Pitts destroying one of Castle's ribs with a shotgun blast, and Castle then giving Pitts everything he's got. Bethel's helicopter passes over Cavella and Barucci, who are themselves planning to move in on the warehouse, having heard Pitts's shotgun firing, and he orders the, the soldiers to open fire. They refuse as they're not cleared to do so, so Bethel takes over the controls and begins firing wildly at the warehouse. An order comes through the, uh, the soldier's headset, Green 7, and they dump him from the flying helicopter, citing Homeland Security. Inside the warehouse, Pitts picks up a shard of glass. He rushes Castle, slicing his arm and face until he, he puts his palm in, it, in its path to allow the shard to go directly through it and then break off the point. He scoops Pitts up and charges towards the window, throwing him from the third floor window and onto a spear-top fence down below. A moment later, he leaps from the same window, landing on Pitts's chest, driving the fence deeper in, into Pitts's body. The Punisher goes back up through the warehouse, bypassing Micro, who is uh, in need of medical attention, to shoot at Mafia members at the entrance. Nikki puts a gun to Larry's head, ordering him to be a decoy for him to make an escape. Punisher shoots Larry, but Pitts appears behind him, with the fence sticking through him and half his face gone, as he's lining up a shot on Nikki, One final shot kills Pitts. Hopefully. Nikki makes it uh, to, to the, uh, one of the perimeter NYPD squad cars, immediately shooting one of the police officers and forcing the other to drive him away from the area. As the Punisher walks Beth uh, past Bethel, he offers him a job one more time, which Frank refuses. Frank re-enters re the warehouse and speaks with Micro who suggests another take on the Bob Garnett story. He suggests that the story is actually about him having lost control, which he doesn't normally do, and wonders if there was ever a chance he could have ever chosen not to become the Punisher. When he brings, when he brings up the fact that Castle he hesitated, Castle writes it off as having not seen him in eight years, and only Micro actually having a shotgun in his hand at the time is what convinced him that shit was about to go down. After that, the Punisher blows Micro's head off. The end. So, what did I think? 
Honestly, the Punisher is one of those characters that I always thought had shitloads of potential, but every time I picked up a Punisher book, it just felt like something was off. Make sense? Something was missing. What I eventually realized is that the thing that's missing from most Punisher stories is real consequences for what the Punisher does. Of all Marvel characters, the Punisher's probably the most real world. The shit he does would... That's going to have real consequences, even in a fictional universe. But, honestly, nothing much ever seemed to stick. It felt like the Punisher was constantly involved in a massive war against the Mafia. But, even in issues where he might kill dozens of Mafia thugs, it just seemed like there was always a fresh supply of people just waiting to take the mobster's place in the in uh, next month's issue. Just this never-ending parade of mobsters. Hundreds of them. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But that's not what happens here. The Punisher's killed dozens, maybe hundreds, of mafia tough guys, and the pool's starting to run thin. The Punisher's making real headway in his war on crime. It's to the point where any gangster's life's uh, lifespan is probably pretty fucking short. And on top of that, the guys running the mob now are a bunch of second stringers that have no understanding of, of how to run that type of organization. These are the, 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 these are the, the junior varsity nobodies that Michael Corleone's never even met and doesn't even know work for him. The reason for that is because the Punishers killed the real leaders years ago so now, guys who otherwise would have been lucky to be simple hitmen, those are the people who are now running the show. What I'm saying here is that in the Max universe, the Punisher's actions do have consequences. He is making headway. And that's a big part of what moves the plot along, in fact. The Punisher's success at taking out criminals is part of why the CIA was ever interested in him in the first place. They want him to do jobs and carry out hits that they officially can't do themselves. That same thing is how Larry, Nikki Cavella, Inc., and Pitsy could ever be contenders to run the family rather than just be disposable soldiers or hitmen or, or at best, capos. If it wasn't for the Punisher, they'd never have a shot at the big time. Because ordinarily, they'd be, at best, low-level button men who never even meet the head of the family and maybe not even their capo regime. But because... The Punishers killed everybody, all the higher-ups. Now these second-stringers, these nobodies, these sick, demented fucks that you want to keep as low down on the totem pole as you can, now these guys are the ones trying to run the show. Everything in this story flows from that logical starting point. And i got to say, I really admire that about how Garth Ennis wrote the story, and then other ones in his run as well, but really this story. He never relies on a never-ending supply of thugs and mobsters for Castle to go up against. Ennis understood that any line of work only has a finite number of people to choose from, and he structured the Punisher Max mythos accordingly. Another thing that sets the Max universe apart is that it really is a universe apart from the mainstream Marvel universe. This isn't the same Punisher from the mainstream Marvel titles. This is an immaculate universe that caters specifically to the Punisher. Because of that, 
there aren't any other Marvel characters running around. Well, I say that. Nick Fury pops up later on, but that's it. Otherwise, this is a pretty grounded and pretty real-world type of setting, hence the real-world consequences for everything the Punisher does. Now, the other thing that sets this Max series apart is the content. Garth Ennis could put basically anything he wanted in these books. With Max titles, anything goes. There's no limits about language or violence or TNA or, or whatever else. Now, a lot of writers and artists would do all the wrong things with that. They'd confuse freedom with license. Possibly even mandate. Now, I don't want to spoil the rest of the series, but let it be said that Garth Ennis never makes that mistake. Not even once. No matter how dark, profane, gritty, bloody, naked, or whatever things might get, there's always a purpose behind it. Garth Ennis is setting the mood, he's establishing characters, he's building the universe, or, or whatever his method might be. There's a point to it. No matter how graphically horrifying some of this shit might be, it's not there for shock value. It's part of the story that he's telling. And like I said, I honestly think it's the writer in a hundred who'd handle that responsibly. I suspect that most comic book writers would go way over the top with all the gratuitous elements because they confused shock value with real content. But shock value isn't content. They're two different things. That's why they're spelled differently from each other. Another thing is that what we're seeing here is basically the Garth Ennis version of the Punisher. He understands what makes the character tick. He knows the character's history. Not just his origin. His history. Again, I don't want to spoil anything, but the third issue has a very big clue about the true birth of the Punisher. Which is to say, whatever the hell it is that Frank Castle has become. And Garth Ennis gets it. He understands the transformation that had to take place. And fuck me, I don't want to spoil anything, but I've read ev everything Ennis has written for this version of the Punisher, and I'm here to tell you, it's fucking epic. Everything that the Max Punisher does has a starting point. And, you know what? Believe it or not, it's even got an ending point, too. I don't know when, but sooner or later, I'm going to talk about all that stuff. The complete Garth Ennis Max Punisher. I'll talk about it on this very podcast. Can't say when, because I honestly have no idea. I've got a schedule, and if I abide by it, I won't be able to come back to the, to the Max Punisher for a hell of a long time. But I will come back to it. Count on it. And I'll tell you why. When I was a kid, I don't know, I was maybe 11 or 12, something like that. I read some Frank Miller Love Fest in some magazine or another. A Comics Buyer's Guide. Wizard Magazine. Might have been he uh, Hero Illustrated. Remember Hero Illustrated? I do. Anyway, there were a bunch of quotes from a lot of different comic book writers and artists and all that stuff. Big names in the industry. 
along with independent guys and then publishers and editors, the whole shit. But one quote has always stuck with me. In, the, in this sea of uh, Frank Miller cocksucking, one kind of stuck with me. One sort of, I don't know, rose above all the rest, I guess. I can't remember which magazine the quote appeared in. I can't even remember who the fuck said it. I just remember that someone said, I can't read anybody else's Daredevil. Now, at the time, that hit me right between the eyes. I followed characters back then. I liked Superman, so I followed Superman. I liked The Flash, so I followed The Flash. Sure, I had a preference for some artists or some writers working on those characters over others, but the idea of following one creator and collecting his work rather than following a character was completely foreign to me. I just didn't understand the mentality. Because, to me, it, it, it implied that one writer basically has a monopoly on a character. His work on that character is definitive. You need not read anybody else's stuff on that character because a certain writer has already done the job perfectly. And nobody will ever be able to match that. That seemed to be the attitude. And like I said, when I was a kid, I didn't relate to, I didn't relate to that at all. I just couldn't connect to it. To me, the character was what counted the most. The character was what was special. So this whole notion of, say, Frank Miller being the definitive Daredevil guy just didn't add up for me. Keep in mind, I hadn't read any of his Daredevil work. In fact, I hadn't read any Daredevil at all. That's not the point. The point is that the creator monopoly thing just left me cold. I didn't understand it, but... I gotta tell you... In the years since then, long after I read that quote, long after it made an unforgettable impression on me, since that time, I've read Mark Wade's entire run on The Flash. I've read Jeff Johns' entire run on Green Lantern. I read, I've read Gerard Jones' entire run on The Shadow. And since that time, yeah, I kind of relate to that sentiment. It makes, it makes sense to me now when it never did before. After I read those writers on those characters, yeah, I somewhat related to that. I felt like I had very good runs on those characters. Definitive, even. And because of that, I really don't feel like I need to read somebody else's Wally West or Hal Jordan or Shadow or Jonah Hex. I mean, I'm sure they have legions of admirers and fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm even sure that those are good stories. But the thing here is Mark Wade's Wally West, for me, is definitive. And the same can be said for Jeff Johns's Hal Jordan. For me, his take on Hal Jordan is perfect. I don't need anything else. And I don't especially want it. That's basically how I feel about Garth Ennis on The Punisher 2. 
Shitloads of talented writers have put their spin on the Punisher over the years, before and after Ennis came along, and you know what? That's great. More power to them. I'm glad that those writers had their shot. And I'll even allow that some of it's pretty good stuff, but me personally, I don't need anything other than Garth Ennis on the Punisher. He, he has this perfect run on the character. He understands the Punisher. He knows how the Punisher's world works. He knows the types of, en uh, of enemies that the, the Punisher needs to go up against. The Garth Ennis Punisher, for me, is definitive. I don't need to read anybody else's work on the Punisher. And honestly, I don't want to. If I read a Punisher story, I want it to come from the imagination of Garth Ennis. Again, this isn't intended to be disrespectful to other creators. But at the same time, nothing would be more disappointing than reading some other guy's Punisher, watch him try to copycat what Garth Ennis did, but completely fuck it up because he doesn't understand what makes the Garth Ennis Punisher work. So. That one guy said of Frank Miller that he can't read anybody else's Daredevil. Frank Miller did such a good job on Daredevil that he actually ruined that character for, uh, for whoever said that quote if anyone else ever tries to write it. He'll either read Frank Miller's Daredevil or he'll go without Daredevil. And that's fine by him because Miller did the job so perfectly that nobody else could ever hope to match. Now. Whether or not I agree with him about Frank Miller on Daredevil isn't the point. The point is that I relate to that philosophy now, that mindset, when it comes to certain other characters. I can't read anybody else besides Mark Wade write Wally West, Jeff Johns write Hal Jordan, Gerard Jones write The Shadow, Jimmy Palmiotti write Jonah Hex, or Garth Ennis write The Punisher. There, you know what, there may, there may even be other characters on my list, but you get the point. Those guys specifically understand those characters specifically. Their work on, their, uh, on those books, for me, is definitive. And as you can see, it's a pretty fucking short list of people who get that type of honor. So, my hope is that the fact that I'm willing to give that distinction to Garth Ennis and his work on the Max Punisher, that should tell you something. This honor isn't given lightly. Not just anybody gets to claim ownership of just any character like this. Go read the Garth Ennis Max Punisher. It just doesn't get any better than this. Okay, so I think that's that. Uh, for some uh, administrative stuff, like I said before, next week, I'm going to be talking about Spider-Man 2099. So, those interested, just by all means, hope to uh, hope you come back for that. But for right now, I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back after these messages. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents 
the Nam. Join me, Tom Paneris, for In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series, The Nom. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. <sighs> Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo. And where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you. An offer that you should not refuse. Uh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so... You will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay. Cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! How, how the hell did you find me, and how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true. So let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering a podcast such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network. And in return... Our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Gathered 
together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth, are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, I'm back now, and usually right around here, this is just about the time that I normally go into, you know, feedback and all of that fun stuff, but uh, I'm not going to do that this time. You know, sometimes in life, you have a really perfect moment. You understand? Uh, sometimes... I don't know, it's just, you have this... You, you're in, and it usually lasts for just a second, right? An experience where you wouldn't change a thing. Even if you could. And if you think about it, that is a pretty rare feeling. Because maybe it's just something that's natural inherent to the human condition, but I think at any given moment, most of us are experiencing circumstances where we might change be anything, up to and including just the very reality of our lives at that moment, the entire fabric of it, everything. And other times, you have, I don't know, just this moment of satisfaction. You understand? It really is a perfect moment. And I, I feel like that's where I've been, like all week. At the time that I record this, it is July the 12th, 2014, 3.11 in the morning, on Saturday, Saturday morning, but really Friday night because I haven't gone to bed yet. And I just look back on this past week, and it really has been awesome, you know? Uh, last week... Not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before that. I released my 50th episode, and I'm not going to get into any of the feedback for it here, but I am going to say that the response to it has really been frickin' positive. A lot more positive, in fact, than I was originally expecting, because I figured, well, it's kind of bloated, it's got this huge runtime to it, it's something like 
I don't know, what, what, like three and a half hours long, or just over that. And actually, a good bit of that was me just running my mouth, kind of like I am right now, and certainly that section, but really the entire episode, just it kind of lacked structure, but I thought it kind of made up for that a little bit in personality, and, you know, um, definitely, I don't want to sound like I'm ungrateful to my guests, because believe me, I am. I, I am definitely grateful, definitely appreciative of my friends who showed up. But that last bit, it was mostly just me running off at the mouth. That was it, you know? And I kind of figured that that would be the moment when at least a few of you would turn on me. Make sense? Where, like, you can't, you finally reach this moment where you're like, God, I wish this fucking ginger would just shut up. And it's actually been, like, totally the opposite, you know? I've, anyway, so... So there was that. And I kind of I kind of think of that as sort of like a preview of everything that's gone on this week. More from the standpoint of, like, a job well done. Because I gotta tell you, like, people responded well to the 50th episode, but... I guess kind of moving away from, like, podcast stuff, like at work. It was just a really good week, you know? And a lot of positive things really happened. I'm starting a new schedule. In fact, on Monday, this coming Monday, starting up a brand new schedule, and in effect, I'm going to have a completely new boss. And... I don't know if my new boss knows it yet, but he's, you know, in me, he is going to receive one of the top performers at the company right now. And who knows what the future may bring, but I'm just saying, like, right this moment, I'm like, uh, I'm in the top, I don't know if I want to be too specific, I'm in the top five, put it that way. Very best of, you know, people in my department at my company, I'm in the top five. You know, by numbers, anyway. And so, it's just been a really positive just thing. You know, this whole past week, it's just been... Yeah, it's just, it's been hard to put in, put into words. But, I don't know, it's just, it's been just good, you know. And that feeling of contentment that usually comes and goes, and it's only here for just a moment. It's very fleeting, very temporary. That feeling of contentment, you know, where you're... Like I said, you wouldn't change a thing. And it's been like that this whole week. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I've had, like... I'm thinking like six or seven of those in my whole life, you know, just those perfect moments, right? And I think that's about as much as you can ask for a lot of times, you know, about six or seven. I've had those, but then this entire past week has been, as far as work is concerned, perfect moment that lasted a week. And there have been some other, you know, uh, neat things. I'll probably get into those some other time. But it's just I've been going through a, sil- uh, a, a just a major Silver Age 
uh, Superman binge lately. So when I get home from work, I've got this huge, I'm not kidding, huge stack of trade paperbacks waiting for me. Most notably, uh, the showcase reprints uh, for Superman, volumes one and two. You hear a bunch of stuff moving around in the background. That's me trying to reach over and grab. Yeah, here we go. Showcase presents Superman volumes one and two. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've gotten picked up some some other trades, too. There's some other stuff here. Superman versus Lex Luthor. Superman Daily Planet. Superman, the greatest stories ever told, volume two. And that's not, by the way, that's not to be confused with the greatest Superman stories ever told that I think was released back in 1988. Totally different thing. This is Superman, the greatest stories ever told, volume two. And so, you know, got that. And then I've got Superman in the 40s, in the 50s, and in the 70s. Somehow, I, I thought I had Superman in the 60s, but apparently not. So, anyway. And so it's... I guess what I'm saying here is that, you know, work has been going great, and then I come home to comics that I just love. I just, I cherish, you know. And I've said before that, you know, the the way I the way I do this show, Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, the, I guess, structure to it is that I just... I don't really have too much of a structure. I mean, I, I use every seventh episode to talk about one of the DC Paradox Press big books. And then I use the eighth episode to talk about Smallville. But then get back into, I guess, my structure, which is to say no structure at all. And I just spent six episodes talking about whatever I'm reading at the moment. You know, as you go through Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, you're pretty much following my fanboy muse wherever it's taken me, you know, and I don't want that to sound, you know, maybe as snooty as it probably does, because there are a lot of people out there who do index type of podcasts, right? Like take Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner, right? They did an index podcast of every... Marvel Comics Star Wars issue that there ever was. They went through it beginning to end. Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, they're going through the entire Burn Age Superman. Sean Angle is doing just one of the guys, Green Lantern podcast. And... I've got, like I said, nothing but respect for people who can do those types of shows. All right? From the bottom of my heart, really, they do have my admiration. Because I have to tell you, I don't think I could do it. You know? I don't think I could do that. You know, uh, have an index show where I'm basically definitive. You know, covering everything from a particular... A line of comics, right? Because I don't really think the big book thing counts. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I don't want to get into it. But anyway, bottom line is, you know, 
I don't really think that counts. And so <sighs> the whole structure of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is partly it's it, it's just a reflection of my personality. I go from one thing to another to another to another to another. And the way I thought it would work, at least in my mind, was that people would just download the shows that they were interested in, but they weren't necessarily going to follow every single little thing because who? what are the odds that there's somebody out there who likes every single thing I've talked about, right? Or, for that matter, hates it. You know, the, the things that I had, uh, I don't know, less than positive things to say, what are the odds that they like all the same stuff I do and dislike all the same stuff that I do? And for all the same reasons. And so it never crossed my mind that anybody would follow every single episode, right? And so I thought my, you know, the strength of this, if I'm going to have any at all, but the strength of this show was always going to be the diversity of material. And let's face it, you know, if I have a fanboy muse that I'm sure a lot of you guys do too, you're not necessarily... You can be, in, in my opinion, you can be a big fan of the Avengers, but that doesn't mean you necessarily want to read the Avengers every single month, like just month in and month out, you know? I mean, I tend to binge on things, you know? I mean, one week it'll be, you know, the entire run of the Batman Adventures, you know? And I just, I got to get more, more and more and more and more, right? Um, and then maybe uh, the next week it'll be... Uh, that Jonah Hex comic book series that by Jimmy Palmiotti that uh, Scott Gardner is always talking about. So I just, I got to get more of that, you know. And I honestly don't remember where the hell I was going to go with this because it's not even like I'm working from, this, like, even rough notes. Oh, yeah, 50th episode, right? And so, like I was saying, um, guys, it's late and I'm freaking tired. But uh, like I was saying, the... 50th episode, there was so much reaction from so many different people, and in a weird kind of way, they were all expressing so many different things. I guess what I never considered was that, you know, there are people out there who would enjoy the show, the same shows even, but for totally different reasons. And I guess, you know, maybe there's a certain amount of logic in that, and I just didn't, I just never considered it. You know, maybe that's it, but either way. So... find out about all of that and I'm having a, a good time at work and like I said every night I get to come home to comics that I just cherish right now and it really like I said it really has been a week of perfect moments you know and like I said I mean it's just it's so rare in life to get one at all and so to have it, have it last basically an entire week, at least for me, that's freaking unprecedented, you know? And so I guess the point, I guess what I'm driving at here is it's hard not to feel this really deep sense of gratitude about it that, you know, things are going well at work, things are going well with my show, things are going well with my fandom, you know? And the fact is, you know, I got a lot of attention out of, I don't know if I want to say that I shit-talked Superman 2, but that caught a lot of people off guard, it seems. And, you know, when I did it way back in the beginning, right? I mean, that 
caught a lot of people off guard. They weren't expecting that. And I didn't really plan for it to go. I mean, I, d I didn't think it would be universally beloved, but I guess there would be some number of people out there, even fans who kind of had been thinking the same things all along, you know? Well, it turns out that maybe I was more of the lone voice in the wilderness than I originally expected, but whatever. So, I don't know where I was going with that either. Oh, yeah. Um, basically that, like I said, I just go where the fanboy muse takes me, and a lot more of you guys have been uh, have been along for the ride than I was originally expecting. And, you know, week in and week out, you know, I mean, I'm always, I guess, for as much as some people, some listeners were like caught off guard by the Superman 2 thing or the Joel Schumacher Batman thing, as much as they were caught off guard by, I guess, what I said, I was caught off guard by how well-received a lot of this stuff has been. And I guess the 50th episode was really the first time that I'd given that a lot of thought, you know, I guess that, or that it had become, I don't know, apparent to me, I guess, and so, I really am rambling here, good lord, this is going to need a lot of editing, well, I guess what I'm saying here is that it's really been good for the past few weeks, and I think what I really wanted from this segment was to just immortalize all of that, you know? I wanted to, I guess maybe years from now, maybe come back to what I'm saying here and remember a moment, or I guess a time, when everything was good. And, you know, I don't mean that like in a depressing way, because I know the future's going to suck or, you know, or something. I don't, uh, who knows, right? But I guess more from the angle that you know, these are the things that, you know, I'm, these are, I think are the experiences in life that motivate you and kind of enable you to carry on in the future, you know, when maybe things aren't going so great. You know, you remember those, those peaks that you've had, you know, and I have no idea what the hell I'm saying anymore. All right, I really am tired. I'm going to hit the sack, but anyway, the point is, I just felt like, you know, banging this out, and talking about just how, just awesome things have been lately, and I guess as much as anything, how much of that is to do with you guys, the listeners, whether you have your own show or not, or hell, for that matter, whether you even have given me any kind of feedback at all, ever, you know? Like I said, those are the things that sometimes, you know, really do keep you going, you know? And they're also sometimes what can put what was already a good week way over the top as far as just goodness, you know? And I gotta be honest, you know, the... A good bit of my dissatisfaction with the modern comic book industry in general, and the New 52 in particular, has been just the total lack of fun 
you know, and coming home every night from work and reading these Silver Age Superman stories with incredibly over-the-top imagination and possibility. It's... I don't it's it's hard like I said it's hard to put that into words except to say that I guess I just to me that is ultimately what I want from comic books right now anything that I'm reading cuz there are guys there are so many things in life that are just completely fucking miserable right I'm not even going to get specific but there are a lot of things about life right now that can really depress you if you let it. And so it's kind of nice to be able to just come home and read stories about these mythic characters and, you know, clear-cut good guys and bad guys. And I guess the knowledge that justice will prevail and that there is heroism and virtue in the world, even if it's just some kind of imaginary ideal. Ultimately, I think that's what the su- the Silver Age Superman really means to me, when all said and done. You know, the aspirational aspects of it. And maybe that's just a, a great big part of my interest in the Silver and Bronze Age Superman right now. I don't know. But all I can say is that... I think it was uh, Michael Bailey and the Irredeemable Shag who... Uh, coined the phrase, you know, finding your comic book joy. I mean, just whatever it is, you know, whatever it is about comics that gets your, that, that just gets you going. And ever since I heard that episode of Views from the Long Box, I mean, that's just been where I want to be, you know? That's why I haven't done a show about how much the new 52 pisses me off, you know, because, I mean, I I would think the fact that I haven't really talked all that, or at least I haven't, you know, dedicated an episode to it should pretty much tell you where I'm coming from on the new 52. But the other thing is, you know, I mean, there's been, you know, just so much anger and vitriol and negativity and stuff about it. It's just there's really nothing more, really, for me to say at this point, because it's all been, not only has it been said, it's actually been said better than I probably could, but, you know, the other thing is, I just, I kind of feel like it's, it's just not what I want from comics right now, and what I want is, I guess, just fun, and so doing a show about, you know, all the things about the New 52 that just piss me right off, Ultimately, nobody feels better once it's all over, you know? And I got to tell you, I always do kind of tend to feel a lot better. I don't care how cheesy the Silver Age story might be. When I finish it, I do feel better about things, you know? And anyway, I guess what I'm saying is, hell, if I even had a point, I lost it a long time ago, but... It's just that right now, this very moment, things are going great, and work has a lot to do with it. This show has a lot to do with it. Y'all's reaction to this show has a lot to do with it. The comics that I'm reading have a lot to do with it. It's just been good. So, 
Anyway, so that's pretty much that. Just wanted to throw all that out there and see what comes back to me. So if you want, you can uh, send me an email, trentusmagnus at gmail.com, T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Tell me that I probably shouldn't podcast when I'm this tired. Uh, Tell me that you agree with me. Tell me you wish I'd just shut up. I don't know. Just send me something. Let me know. I want to know what you guys think about this. This whole stream of consciousness thing I just went through. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's about it. So, that's all I got. So, bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. Okay. So, I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.